We access the world around us through the infrastructure that is within our built and natural environments. How accessible and efficient the infrastructure is in the built environment reflects the considerations or lack of considerations for social and environmental justice. Government Grilled Cheese podcasts and blog posts explores how infrastructure facilitated by local, state, and federal entities affect outcomes of social mobility, academics, economics, and health. Our goal is to examine how different examples of built infrastructure play out in these areas for marginalized communities. We explore how individuals and organizations are holding government entities accountable for infrastructure and its outcomes. We also look at how some of these individuals and organizations are facilitating infrastructural design or policy advocacy and development in order to improve these outcomes. We will do this through our five-segment program. These segments include... Sankofa, The Table, Here and Now, Call to Action, and Continuing the Conversation. A detailed description of each of those segments is provided in our introductory episode. Please check it out if you have not done so already. This week, our podcast is entitled building equity in the ever-evolving urban infrastructure of water in Los Angeles. Who has quality access to the fountain of life? And as you all might have guessed, we're going to be talking about water. So let's get started. Water is an essential part of life. We use it to drink, cook, and to farm, among other things. Have you ever noticed how many freeways and roads are alongside rivers? Historically, Where you find water, there are usually settlements nearby. Waterways like rivers and lakes allow for development of infrastructure to build civilizations, and our oceans serve as roadways to find distant lands. The ways we use water in the built environment is fully dependent on how access is decided. Today, we will look at how the use and access of water in Los Angeles has evolved over time. We will do this by looking at the relationship between water, demographics, political power, and the environment. We will analyze the socio-political process around water policy and look at the outcomes these processes have had and marginalized communities within the infrastructure created for water access in Los Angeles. Water policy is changing in Los Angeles, and we can ensure that water infrastructure moves towards more equitable green infrastructure, and sustainability. So let's get into it. Sankofa. Many don't know this, but California was a part of Mexico. Prior to Mexico, it was a part of Spain. During these times, there were laws and practices that carried over when California became a part of the United States. Some of these practices included the relationship with water. A Spanish governor named Felipe de Neve instituted a water infrastructure called Zanja when California was a province of Spain. Zanjas were man-made ditches that collected water. This was used to cultivate the soil and for domestic needs. An essential component of the Zanjas was that it was for public use. Any development had to be approved by the town council to ensure that the development was for public benefit. 
the town council appointed a Zanhedo to manage the Zanhas and settle any disputes that the community had. The Zanhedo was in charge of regulating usage and laws. It was illegal to use the Zanha for laundry, washing animals, or disposing of animal remains. The Zanhedo would make recommendations to the town council regarding labor repairs and financial needs. The council would ask the citizens to provide the necessary resources to address the Zanha's needs. The Zanha's water infrastructure was continued until around the 1870s. The Table As more U.S. immigrants settled in California, the relationship between the environment, the community, and the individual began to change. The biggest change was how U.S. immigrants intended to use the land and how that conflicted with the laws and practices of the Mexican Californians. U.S. immigrants' move west was rooted in the promise of access to land that yielded unlimited commercial potential. European immigrants moved to Los Angeles with the visions of the come-up. The come-up is also known as taking a chance to make capital gains. And that vision was dependent on the commercial availability of water. The Mexican Californians practiced an agrarian approach to water access. They believed that in providing an adequate and dependable supply of water to the village, in return, the city demanded a payment of tribute in the form of money or crops. Under the Spanish and Mexican rule, Los Angeles retained all rights to the water and used it to benefit the communal interests. This meant that the settlers also had to pay taxes in order to retain their right to use the land. This did not fit the United States immigrants' capitalistic ideological approach to water access. They generally believed that water had no intrinsic value, no integrity that must be respected outside of its commercial use. Many historians argued that the United States immigrants who arrived in Los Angeles, California, viewed water as a commercial instrument solely. In 1850, California officially became a part of the United States. However, there was still a relatively large Mexican California population. For the first two decades, many of the water laws that were followed under the Spanish and Mexican rule were still in practice. Because of the fundamental differences of ideology, the migration of U.S. immigrants into California caused much tension with the Mexican Californians regarding how resources like water were managed. Between 1840 and 1870, U.S. immigrants and Mexican Californians repeatedly battled over water, public land, and ownership rights. The value of these two groups were not aligned, and it affected the way they approached joint policy and infrastructural design to their water systems. By 1870, there were more United States immigrants, New Californians, than Mexican Californians. Mexicans. This allowed the new Californians to take complete control of the Los Angeles City Council. With this control, they began to create new laws that supported the capitalistic ideologies pertaining to water. One of the first laws implemented was a change in the infrastructure of water access. Instead of the Zanjas infrastructure that made water access equitable to everyone in the city, the new Californians wanted to build a new water system with closed pipes. They argued that this infrastructure was needed to maintain public health and improve access to water. They convinced some of the elite Mexican families to allow these closed water pipes to be built on their land. Some of these individuals that represented these families include Dona Arcadia de Mandini, Ramona Sepulveda, 
Agustin Machado, Angel Reyes, and Dionisio Botinin. These families were instrumental in getting the first closed sewage pipes built in Los Angeles in 1873. The Mexican families soon regretted the partnership with the new California Ranch City Council. Soon after these closed pipes were completed, the city council created new policies that required property owners to maintain the closed pipes or receive fines. These property owners will ultimately face a lien on their property if they did not comply. This was very different from the systems the Mexican property owners were used to, where everyone pitched in financially to maintain the water infrastructure. These policies had no appeal process. The new Californians were strong-arming the Mexicans by using policy to force the property owners to pay for the development of the closed sewage and water pipes or face losing their land. With the political power of the Mexicans diminished, they were at the will of the political power of the new Californians. Another consequence of this initial imbalance of political power was that the closed pipe sewage deposited untreated waste back into a specific section of the Zanha network, still being used by Mexican and Chinese communities. This can be seen as an act of environmental injustice or racism facilitated by the city council. This injustice finally ended in 1891 when public funding was granted for a comprehensive sewage network that would treat some waste for agricultural purposes and dump the rest into the Pacific Ocean. However, this did not end the injustice seen and end the access to sewage and irrigation systems. By 1891, the population of Los Angeles increased to over 50,000. The Mexican and Chinese communities were a small fraction of this number. Although the city council expressed closed pipe infrastructure would be for everyone, they failed to build equitable closed pipe sewage and irrigation access. It was not until almost 1900 that one sewage pipe connected to each of the Mexican and Chinese communities was built. Although they received water pipelines, they were constructed with faulty material, which caused them to fail often. This inequity, this inequity of closed pipe access interfered with the sustainability of health in Mexican and Chinese neighborhoods. This paved the way for Mexican and Chinese neighborhoods to be stereotyped as dirty and diseased. Ultimately, an equitable distribution of water access constructed an identity of a racial hierarchy. By the 1990s, Los Angeles has solidified its practice of building water infrastructure that was not equitable to marginalized communities. It is important to note that affected academic and economic access due to the disease that was spread from the inequitable infrastructure. It is also important to note that Los Angeles' first discriminatory laws and practices that influenced the built environment were aimed at Mexican and Chinese residents. However, when African Americans migrated west into Los Angeles during the 1930s and 60s, they were also t targeted by race-based disenfranchisement through water infrastructure built in their community. Federal urban surveys done in the 1930s showed that 16.2% of all dwelling units were either in need of the major repairs or unfit for habitation. 14% were built without private indoor toilets, and 20% did not have bathtubs in the unit. 
These percentages directly correlate with the marginalized communities that resided in the city at the time. The city of Los Angeles, sometimes with the help of the federal government, facilitated systemic discrimination in marginalized communities through the city layout, zoning regulations, and developments that put these communities at extreme health risk. Local and federal government agencies have used eminent domain to target these communities through Title I slum clearance policies. These policies targeted these areas for redevelopment and commercial real estate projects. The Alameda factories, oil refineries, railways, freeways, and even Dodger stadiums dislocated marginalized communities. These laws made federal aid available to communities for clearing slums and blighted areas without regard to whether the land was to be used for private or public use. These developments not only displaced whole communities, but they also established borders which aided segregation and environmental racism. Due to the lack of efficient regulatory zoning policies at the time, highly toxic waste-producing industries were developed right next to residential housing. This can be seen in many marginalized communities in cities like Wilmington, Long Beach, Watts, San Pedro, just to name a few. As a result, communities surrounding these industry-driving facilities face lower air quality, toxic soil, and toxic groundwater. The contamination of local water reserves in urban areas over the years is a major reason Los Angeles had to start sourcing its water from the Colorado River and Northern California. Even today, cities like Watson Compton face health risks because of how toxic groundwater seeps into the soil of parks, front yards, and schoolyards. On average, 18 municipalities who access groundwater to serve 5,000 or more residents have 50% or more of contaminated groundwater reserves. Due to demand and inefficient infrastructure, some of these cities are being served toxic water and are not always being told. These environmental injustices built into the water infrastructure have real health implications for not just the communities most vulnerable, but they also contribute to a system-wide contamination. Here and now. Uh, we are again meeting in the Gray County Council Chambers. We have a rather hefty agenda this evening, so I'll ask that we uh, get started. Today we are facing new challenges which give us an opportunity to address a century's worth of inequitable water policy and infrastructure. Climate change and failing infrastructure are the main components forcing local and state agencies to focus on infrastructure development. The water management entities have to do more towards following new practices, which allow for more sustainable water infrastructure development. There are many ideas being looked at on how new infrastructure can be developed. It is important that as new infrastructure is being explored, equity, inclusion, and sustainability are centered as priorities. Felling infrastructure. 64% of the 6,000 plus miles of water piping in Los Angeles is 70 to 100 years old. Much of the piping is built with material operating past its life expectancy. There are four types of material used for water piping. These materials include cast iron, which makes up 68% of the water piping, ductile iron, which makes up 12%, Steel, which makes up 10, and asbestos cement, 
at 9%. Cast iron, making up the highest percentage of piping, is expected to last 50 to 65 years, and the majority of those pipes were constructed over 50 years ago. Cities around Los Angeles are dealing with repair needs, and since 2006, over 13,000 leaks have been reported. One issue that stands out is that cities like Venice, Hyde Park, Boyle Heights, and Hollywood experience some of the highest reported leaks. These are also the areas given at low grade during redlining policies, which gave developers incentive to poorly invest in infrastructure. The current water infrastructure is managed by over 100 fragmented groups that currently lack a cohesive water access process that allows consistency throughout the region. Metropolitan Water District and San Gabriel Valley Municipal Water District are two of the main water suppliers known as contractors. These groups receive annual allocations of waters from the Colorado River and resell water to the wholesalers. The wholesalers take the water that they buy from contractors or other wholesalers and sell it to the retailers. The retailers sell it directly to the residential, commercial, industrial, and agricultural customers. The issue with this system is that there is no consistency of pricing or quality. This results in inequitable water access and lack of efficiency. With over 400 water systems throughout the Los Angeles metro area, water prices can vary from $200 to $2,000 annually. Collaboration between water agencies is vital in order to take on this issue of water management because climate change is impacting the way we will access water in the future. Historically, We have proven that water infrastructure has not focused on equity, and we have seen the results. It is time to innovate infrastructure and management to meet the challenge of water access in Los Angeles. Let's talk about how. Rebuilding the water access and management. As climate change increasingly threatens our traditional water sourcing practices, It has forced us to rethink the water access infrastructure. The reality is that unjust policies used to develop and regulate the infrastructure for water access have greatly contributed to the overwhelming plight we face today. It also challenges how we can move forward. Our water management is an old artifact of an earlier period where our government's values supported the infrastructures that negatively affected health outcomes for marginalized communities. It is essential that as we inevitably approach a need for new infrastructure and water management practices, we build scalable systems that can be reliable and sustainable within a context of limited government and budget resources. One of the most popular innovative water ideas is the use of groundwater. Groundwater is collected from storm runoff and surface water. There are seven adjudicated water basins in the Los Angeles region. Some municipalities access groundwater to meet their water demands, but they must adhere to the regulation and extraction rights set by adjudication. These regulations dictate limits on access and usage. It is important to note that as groundwater is being considered to address water access locally, 
many urban cities like Watts would have to undergo a complete remediation of their groundwater. Due to decades of unregulated toxic waste, Watts groundwater is highly toxic with high levels of trichlorothene and tetrachlorothene, which can cause birth defects and cancer. Toxic groundwater is usually only found after a development project is stalled when the soil is tested. In this case, it was found that the groundwater caused several chemicals, including the ones mentioned, to soak into the soil where there was a proposed development project. This groundwater contamination issue poses immediate health risks and prevents cities like Watts from equally participating in groundwater infrastructure development initiatives. Building Equitable and Sustainable Water Infrastructure The Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, did an assessment in Los Angeles in 2012 to look at opportunities for green infrastructure, specifically regarding water management. The EPA found that most of the local water sourcing opportunities was being lost because water was picking up toxins, bacteria, metals, and waste as it made its way into local water systems. They made suggestions and provided technical assistance to develop greener infrastructure pilots in some Los Angeles communities. The EPA defines green infrastructure as the use of vegetation, soils, and natural processes to manage water and create healthier urban environments. Some of the technical assistance provided by the EPA for green infrastructure development included vegetational and non-vegetational infrastructure suggestions. The non-vegetational suggestions included rainwater capture, which involves rerouting rooftop drainage pipes to drain rainwater into rain barrels, cisterns, or underground vaults for storage and reuse. Another suggestion was a dry well system, which would be represented by a well other than an improved sinkhole or subsurface fluid distribution system completely above the water table. This would avoid the dry well water from being contaminated with the other groundwater sources in the Los Angeles region. Permeable pavement is a way to address both street infrastructure and water management in one. Permeable pavements infiltrates, treats, and stores water where it falls. Permeable pavements may be constructed from pervious concrete, porous asphalt, permeable interlocked pavers, and several other materials. This infrastructural change is cost-effective, especially in places where land values are high like Los Angeles. As streets are often being repaved, this can be something that can be phased in as roads need replacement. On the vegetation side, the EPA suggested infiltration trenches, constructed wetlands, bioretention cells, and downspout disconnections to a pervious area, among other things. The irony of the infiltrated trenches is that they are exactly the same as Zanjas and can be used to serve a similar purpose. The constructed wetlands infrastructure will facilitate the natural processes involving wetland vegetation, soils, and their associated micro-assemblages to assist in treating runoff or other sources of water. 
bioretention cells are rain gardens that serve as vegetated basins which collect and absorb runoff from rooftops, sidewalks, and streets. Bioretention mimics the natural hydrology process of infiltrating and, and evapotranspiring runoff. These rain gardens are versatile and can be a great initiative to reclaim green space and concrete-infested communities within the urban landscape. Lastly, the infrastructure for the downspot disconnection reroutes rooftop drainage pipes to drain rainwater to permeable areas instead of storm sewers. This would allow stormwater to infiltrate into the soil. All of these are cost-effective and scalable ways to address some of the water management issues that cause inequity and affect outcomes of social mobility, economics, and health for marginalized communities. They also address infrastructural issues regarding sustainability and management of water sources in the Los Angeles region. The city of Los Angeles has taken steps to implement some of the suggestions of the environmental protection agencies, climate resilience, and evaluation and, re- and awareness tool within the infrastructure plan for water management, access, and use. This is explained in the Resiliency Los Angeles Action Plan. Within the action plan, One Water Los Angeles Coalition is an integrated framework for managing water access of the city's watersheds, water resources, and water facilities in an environmentally, economically, and socially beneficial manner. The city is creating resources and incentives for Los Angelinos around water resilience and access to help facilitate this goal. The city is investing in green infrastructure and stormwater retention to increase the number of projects that capture water for reuse and improve water quality by 2028. They plan to do this by partnering with the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power to offer incentives that encourage home and business owners to use water more efficiently. These actions not only achieve sustainable and resilient outcomes by conserving resources and reducing energy, they also bring back communal water usage resources and lower the cost for home and business owners. The city also has programs that teach sustainable gardening techniques for native and drought-tolerant species, efficient irrigation, rainwater capture and reuse, and local water efficiency ordinances. In addition to collaboration efforts towards resilient water distribution through green infrastructure, the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power also has initiatives to address felling water pipe infrastructure. The Los Angeles Department of Water and Power has a plan to hire mainland crew workers to install new water piping at a rate of 56 miles per year. They plan to prioritize this initiative using several key factors, which include the age of pipes, soil conditions, and leak history. They are currently planning to replace 500 miles of leak-prone and high-risk main lines throughout the city in the next 10 years. In conclusion, with the felling water infrastructure, climate change, and environmental impact of the urban landscape, it is inevitable that we have to redevelop our water infrastructure and rethink the way that we manage water access. 
As innovative approaches are being implemented to address the water access infrastructure, it is important that we use the past as a reference to avoid rebuilding the same practices of inequity within the new infrastructure. The inequitable development in the past has had disastrous consequences. A part of making sure that this plan does not repeat the past requires the government agencies to be held accountable in building values of environmental justice, equity, and sustainability within the water infrastructure. This is only done when constituents participate by accessing resources, attending council meetings, and demanding access. The remnants of discriminatory infrastructure and outdated policies is experienced every day by marginalized communities. We know that what affects one of us does not stay isolated. Eventually, it affects all of us. We must look at ways to participate in these infrastructural initiatives in our local community as it pertains to water access and reuse. We must do this by building rain gardens, writing our local politicians, demanding testing or remediation of public fields, or even just creating a post on a social media site to spread awareness. Someone once told me civic engagement is an action, not a noun. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. We really hope you enjoyed our content. Government Grilled Cheese is brought to you by Growing Greatness. Government Grilled Cheese episodes are written and produced by me, Growing Greatness founder, R. Durrell. For more information, please visit our website at growinggreatnessnow.com. A podcast link and a written blog post with citations is available on our website. Don't forget to join the conversation. Please add us on our social media platforms. You can find us on Facebook at Growing Greatness and on Instagram at Growing Greatness Now. For bookings or collaboration opportunities, please email us at growinggreatnessnow at gmail.com. Until next time, cheeseheads.